Hey, Emily. Hey, Greg. You know, it's a miracle that the NHL draft is over. Uh, it felt like it took forever, even though it didn't. Uh, probably because nothing actually happened outside of a huge trade and some prominent picks. But uh, the biggest miracle of draft weekend is that our colleague Chris Peters is sitting right next to us after having gone to the Roxy in Vancouver well after the night was allegedly over last night. Yeah, I, I thought that was going to be off the record, but I will say that I think if you come to Vancouver, you kind of have to, don't you? Exactly. Wow. Shots fired at me, who's talking a big game about rowing the Roxy all night and then didn't drink and went to bed at noon. <laughs> Indeed. And I go to bed at 6 o'clock by because noon, I'm a good boy. Coming up on ESPN and Ice, we're going to talk about the P.K. Subban trade. We're going to talk about the Patrick Marlowe trade, where the cap is, uh, all the big picks. Chris is going to give you winners and losers and all that and more on this edition of ESPN and Ice. Let's start the show proper, shall we? From the ice to your earbuds, a podcast about hockey, featuring things to do with hockey. From your friends at ESPN, it's ESPN on Ice with Wachinski and Kaplan. It's ESPN on Ice, the podcast where ESPN talks about hockey. I am Greg Wyshynski, senior NHL writer. I'm Emily Kaplan, national NHL reporter, and we are so pleased to be joined by Mr. Roxy himself. Chris Peters, the NHL draft and prospects analyst and Roxy's best customer, I guess. Oh, I think Shane O'Brien would disagree. So <laughs> Hugh Weber, uh, the president of the Devils, is going to join us in this podcast to break down all of the implications, including off the ice and in the community, of P.K. Subban becoming a New Jersey Devil. Uh, we'll get into that trade in a second. But first, Chris, I wanted to ask you, since we have your expertise here, uh, we are done with all of the picks. How many in total were there? Like 100 and... 217 in all. That's a lot of picks. Um, what were your impressions? Who, at first glance, do you think made it out pretty well and who didn't? Yeah, I thought the Los Angeles Kings having two first-round picks did very well. They got Alex Turcotte. They got Tobias Bjornfoot. They got uh, also Arthur Kaliev, who was the second-best goal scorer in the draft uh, after Cole Caulfield. Uh, that was a, a great pick uh, for them. It's kind of like having three first-rounders, I think. Uh, I also thought that the Carolina Hurricanes, despite playing in the Eastern Conference Final this year, had the kind of draft haul in terms of number of picks and the quality of picks that a rebuilding team normally would have. So I I'm, I loved what Carolina did. Their first rounder was uh, Ryan Suzuki, and he, he he slipped a bit. So there's good value there. But they, I mean, I feel like they had my draft board because they seemed to just pick everybody that I liked. So good, have, good draft for them. I have to ask you about the Carolina Hurricanes. Do you feel like there's any element of a money ball situation going on here? We know that they'd like to do things a little bit differently, maybe a little bit on a budget. Courting draft picks feels like a money ball kind of move. Yeah, and I think trading down was kind of the strategy and get 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 more, just get more. And and I think that, you know, usually the research shows that it's better to trade down than to trade up. You're going to be you get more uh if you trade down and and get more opportunities to land guys that you like and you know, sometimes these are they're they're all educated guesses, right? But if you have more of them, then you have a better chance of, of success. So uh, I really like what they did all draft long. I thought they got tons of value in, in with just about every pick they made today. You mentioned the Alex Turcott pick at five. I think the two picks before him were really intriguing, if only because everybody was waiting for what... Everybody knew Hughes was going number one to the Devils. Everybody knew Capococco was going number two to the Rangers. Then what the Blackhawks decided to do would determine the next few picks in the first round. What did you, what'd you like? I think it was the a good pick. I mean, I think Alex Turcott and Kirby Doc, the, the, the margin between them was pretty razor thin for me. They were three and four on my board. And Doc was the fourth guy. I, I thought that the, the Blackhawks did a great job also of keeping it secret. It was one of the most closely guarded secrets. It really didn't start leaking out a little bit until just before the draft when people are like, you know, I think it's going to be Doc. 
And, uh, you know, the, there was a lot of buildup. Turcotte's a local kid. You know, he, he's got a lot of Jonathan Taves comparisons and, and things like that. But in the end, I think the Blackhawks, got a, they got a big center. They got a playmaking center. They got a guy that's going to help them out. And uh, I thought they had a pretty nice draft as well overall. Um, and, but that was, a, that was a key pick for them and obviously the guy that they wanted. My favorite pick of the draft is Cole Caulfield. I cannot believe he slid to number 15. I feel like this is totally recency bias. We were talking about heavy hockey so much during the playoffs that all the short kids all ended up sliding. <laughs> but here he goes to the Montreal Canadiens. He's the best pure goal scorer in this draft, and he's number 15. Like, it seems like a huge steal to me. Tell me I'm wrong. No, you're not wrong. I, I, I had him at number six on my board, and I know that that was pretty high. And I, you know, I talked to a lot of, uh, a lot of scouts, and there was still people hedging about the size. And even though that he scored 72 goals this year, I mean, 72. Uh, 21 more than the next closest guy, goal total by anybody, uh, in this draft. And I mean, it's just ridiculous the, the level that, uh, of goal scoring that, that he had this year, but also how he did it. I thought that Montreal did a great job of just say, just be in there. You know, that's all they had to do. They just had to be there and he fell right into their lap. And, uh, yeah, unfortunately for Cole Caulfield, he's not a top 10 pick, but he's still pretty much like the shortest lottery pick ever. I'm pretty sure. Let's talk about Germany. Um, the Detroit Red Wings select, I don't want to butcher the name, so go ahead. Yeah, Moritz Seider. Moritz Seider, uh, defenseman from Germany. Without question, the most shocking pick of the first round, I think, uh, for a lot of us. Uh, you know, one of the, the Detroit beat writers was saying, look, if Ken Holland made this pick, he would have been crucified for it. Steve Eiserman makes the pick, and there are some people being like, oh, what does he know? Yeah. <laughs> what is the deal? <laughs> but, I mean, a lot of the draft machinery, I think, that was under Holland is obviously still there under Eiserman. It's still the same group. What What did you like about this pick? What gives you pause about this pick? Well, I think Moritz Sider is a really good defenseman. I, I, I don't think anybody was more shocked that he went sixth than he was, <laughs> if you saw the video of his reaction. Um but high character. He played professionally in Germany this year. He's a winner. He, you know, was on the won won the championship with Adler Mannheim. The thing that I, I gives me pause is that he was basically a bottom pairing defenseman on that team. Didn't play a lot of minutes. He played in lower level international tournaments, so the competition wasn't as strong. And he dominated there, which you would expect him to. But I think that we don't know fully what he's capable of at this point because it just he didn't either didn't have the ice time didn't play on the power play didn't play on the pk there's a lot of things that he's going to need to add to his game uh over the next year and i think that the the red wings will be able to do that i i I would assume that they're going to try to get him to north america next year but there's a lot of things that have to kind of fall into place for that pick to to hit um but he has the tools he has the upside it's just a matter of now they got to be put into practice and he needs to be put in the right situation so um you know it it was so tightly packed it is a reach you know i think it's a reach but at the same time it's not uh it's not something that that i'd be uh you know i I don't think it's like a ridiculous pick by any means it's it's just an an interesting one with a lot of moving parts to it all right. The last thing I want to know from you is, as usual, we probably won't know how this draft actually matriculates for another couple years to see these guys actually make the league, especially the guys maybe later in the first round. But what's one trend or one takeaway you have from this? Uh, maybe the way teams drafted, the type of guys they drafted. Like, what's your big takeaway from this draft? Oh, boy. That's a that's a good one. I think the big takeaway for me is uh, just... The ability for, for team, there were a lot of teams that traded down. There were a lot of teams that were, and I, I think that's becoming more of a thing. Uh, I also thought that, you know, the big trend in the first round was the, the USA record of, you know, seven yeah. players selected in the top 15. 
eight players from one team selected in the first round, that national team development program team. The previous record for teammates selected in the same first round was four. Wow. Wow. So that just goes to show you how impressive that group is, and that is going to be a hugely important team in the history of USA Hockey because of what they're going to be able to do throughout their careers. And let's hope that the Olympics are a thing, or at least the World (laughs) Cup is a thing, because I want to see those players back together again because they were so much fun to watch this year and every bit as good as the draft suggests they were. And as everyone knows on this podcast, the hill we're willing to die on is American kids staying in America. And yes, Cole Caulfield goes to Montreal, but at least we get Jack Hughes. <laughs> yeah. And at least yeah. we get uh, Turcotte, Turcotte Trevor here. Zegris. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and that brings you to my last question real quick. Five years from now, when we look back at this draft, will the Devils have made the right decision in taking Hughes over Capococco? I, I believe so. I think that that is only that pick is only going to look better over time because Jack Hughes has physical development ahead of him. He needs to get stronger. There's no question about it. When he hits his physical peak, I think that there's there's going to be even more that he can do at the NHL level. And it's going to take a little while to get there. We saw the same thing happen with Patrick Kane. They're not similar players. They don't play a similar style. But Patrick Kane got better and had a later peak because he got stronger and more physically able to do some of the things that he couldn't do earlier in his career. I think it will be the same thing with Jack Hughes, and I'm sure that five-year timeline will allow more than enough time for him to kind of start to get there and maybe have a, a later peak than, say, Capo Caco does. Uh, but, yeah, I, I think it will be a, a lopsided rookie season just because Caco's so much more physically developed but it could look better and better as the years progress. Indeed. Uh, all right, Chris, thank you so much for your expertise. If you haven't read Chris Peters' coverage of the draft on NHL, I mean, NHL on ESPN.com <laughs> Whoa. or NHL.com or wherever, I mean, yeah. if you're NHL.com, I'm sorry you can't vote on the awards, but you might have a shot if you're on ESPN.com. Um, <laughs> but but uh, please read it. It's amazing. It's so in-depth. It's fantastic. Uh, now we're going to be joined by uh, Hugh Weber, who is the president of the New Jersey Devils. Uh, who made a, a little trade uh, this week, <laughs> uh, dealing Steve Stantini, Jeremy Davies, two defensemen, uh, plus uh, a second rounder in 2019 and a second rounder in 2020 for P.K. Subban and his $9 million annual salary through 2021. Two. two. Yeah. 22. One more year, Greg. 22. One more year than you maybe wanted. We'll All talk right. about that later. Here, here's, here's Hugh, and then, and then we're going to talk uh, P.K. trade and Marlowe trade when we get back. So, uh, are you ready to sell some jerseys this summer? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so uh, relevancy has been an important word over the last 24 hours. I think the New Jersey Devils, obviously, we play in a very crowded market with the Rangers and the Islanders. Um, We've been through a stretch here where we haven't been consistently performing well on the ice. And so I think the last, you know, 24 hours has given us, in our fans, to your point, a reason to really have hope in what's happening and that shows up in things like jersey sales, ticket sales, and sponsorships, of course. I want to just ask you everything about this P.K. Subban trade. When did it first come on your radar? What kind of recon did you do? And when did it really become tangible that it could happen? So uh, this is something, these trades don't come together just overnight. There's obviously questions and conversations that are happening uh, over the last week about what um, you know, what they were looking to do and what we were looking to do. Um, I will say, however... This has been a long process that Josh Harris and David Blitzer and Ray and, and others have worked to make sure that we are working toward a plan, a plan that gave us cap space, that gave us, again, these things um, coming together, these assets coming together. Clearly, when we got the, the lottery to fall our way, get put on one pick, it kind of accelerated a window a bit. But again, a Subban trade doesn't happen in the hours of Saturday morning. 
it wasn't until we were literally walking into the arena that we, they had a couple options of things they were looking at that we were going, okay, this is going to happen. So uh, pretty exciting. Uh, we did actually have some of our sales staff in the office this morning just in case something wants to happen. <laughs> um, and so they're uh, busily calling people, returning phone calls, and getting back to people this morning in New Jersey. We joked about Jersey sales off the top, but I mean, like, he is... He's his own brand. I mean, he, yeah, he's, so he's, he's the guy who knows how to market himself, but it probably makes your life a little bit easier. So a few things about PK. And obviously, we've done, you know, he's been a proven commodity on the ice, uh, but also others that have been in and around and fans who have followed him have said, you know, three primary things. One, he's exciting, impactful, helpful to the team. Two, he is, um, you know, great for the community. You yeah. know, he engages, and he, it's not, it's, it's heartfelt. And, and he candidly cares about growing hockey. And so if you think about those three elements coming together in New Jersey, it's what we need, right? And so how we, uh, again, declutter the space of the New York hockey market and how we make the, the devil stand for something at a time when, uh, again, Jack Hughes is no slouch either. You know, he's, right. he's a pretty charismatic young leader. So we think that there's uh, the culture in place with John Hines leading and Ray and the structure is, makes it a perfect time. The, to, to double back on that, I mean, it is an unavoidable topic that you know have the most prominent black player in the league playing in North New Jersey. Right. And you have made many, many attempts at inroads into that community uh, to feel part of it. What does this mean now for a connection maybe with the community around the arena that you've never had before? So it's interesting. Newark is a city on the rise. And, and I would say 10 years ago when the Prudential Center, 11 years ago now when the Prudential Center was built, it was, uh, it was done so as a catalyst to potentially help that community rebound and, and take a different trajectory. I've been there six years. And six years ago when we got there, uh, the, the general neighborhood around the Prudential Center saw the building and the team as kind of like the castle on the hill. They, don't, they, don't go, they didn't go to games. Right. They didn't know what happened. They had friends that worked at the building, but they really didn't engage. And so we made a concerted effort over the last four or five years just to make sure that we were engaging the community, that we were having people come to games, that we were opening our doors. And I'm going to tell you a story that happened literally a week and a half ago, 10 days ago. Ray Shiro and I had just finished a meeting at 7 o'clock at night. We're walking down Broad Street in Newark. Three kids, ages 10 to 12, on their bikes ride past us on the sidewalk, happen to be African-American, turn and look at Ray Shiro and say, Ray Shiro! <laughs> and then, you know, I'm thinking, wow, how do they know Ray? That's pretty amazing. <laughs> Continue to say, Capo! <laughs> we're like, seriously? These kids know that much about hockey, but they're actually taking a stand here in this first pick. So my point is, is that I think actually there's been great momentum in terms of how this community and, and maybe how we're growing the brand of hockey in and around uh, New Jersey, not just in Newark, because New Jersey is a very fragmented market. It's right. four and a half million people in northern New Jersey, but it's all Flyers fans know, in the south, it, Rangers yeah, fans in the north. Yeah. Yeah. But, but it's all in towns of 25 and 30,000 people. So yeah. it's a very granular, hand-to-hand, you know, personalized approach that we have to take in the market. He is just, as you said, with 1.1 million Twitter followers. He's got more Twitter followers than probably half the teams in the league. <laughs> so um, I think he's, a, he's an incredible asset. And I think we're per- perfectly positioned, both in proximity to New York, in terms of growing the sport, and, and maybe in the communities that don't normally are hockey natives. Yeah. 
So, in my personal opinion, one of the things that prevents hockey's popularity grand, on a grand scheme is the marketing of stars. Uh, compared to basketball, we market the stars, we see their faces, they market right. themselves. You know how the MVP of last two years ago, right. you have a young American number one center and P.K. Subban, who is a brand among himself. Right. How committed are you to letting these guys uh, market themselves and how committed are you to marketing them and, and like who's the face of the team if you pick the three of them? Yeah, so it's funny. If you actually look at the, 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 the history of the New Jersey Devils, we were actually known for not marketing our stars. There might have been right? a guy in charge of that. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, by the way, I worked with Lou for a long time. But it was a philosophy and it worked and they had a lot of, of success. But you think about it now, Marty Bordeaux is now on national or, uh, enterprise nationally commercials. Right. And he's no one promoting the brand and he didn't even get that until after he retired. So to your point, Ray is much different. Ray is someone who's opened the doors to behind-the-scenes filming, uh, behind the glass with the NHL Network. He's someone who brought cameras into the discussions about who we're to pick for the number one pick. He's someone who wants to see these personalities flourish and blossom and grow. And so I think that you're going to see an opportunity, again, for the team that's been in the market for over 35 years who now has the ability to stand out in a way with these personalities with a GM and a coach that actually want that to be part of who we are. Um, I, Jack all of a sudden gets overshadowed by this. It's kind of weird. Yeah, the first overall pick, generational player. Uh, your thoughts on, on obviously the, the big topic of conversation yesterday, which is Jack goes to the Devils, Capo goes to the Rangers, and what that dynamic now means for the rivalry. So I think it's great for the NHL generally that we have in probably the biggest media market in, and now you have the Islanders who are you know on the cusp yeah. we think having a good run you have the Rangers who are now relevant and you have hopefully the Devils and the rivalry and then you have the Flyers and what Chuck Fletcher is doing so I think this is incredible for hockey it's great for the NHL it's always good to have a story because that's what we can sell like so when you have strong rivals both all being good with you know playoff games on the line and game sevens and all that good stuff it's great for us it's great for the sport mm -hmm. but as jack hughes said you know in his interviews like we are going to be linked you know for as long as we can probably remember that's what we hope we hope that there is actually this this ongoing narrative and that we're, we're talking about this five years from now. Yeah. The big question moving forward is Taylor Hall, of course, and, and signing him to a long-term deal. How do you feel like this affects your negotiations with him going forward, and how much communication have you had with him? So we've been talking to, to Taylor. Uh, you know, he, he is, was active in terms of you know, getting input on this trade, and, and he understands what we're doing. It's been important for us to make sure that he sees the big picture of what we've been building and what we're trying to do. He's a competitive guy. He wants to win, of course. And so... Um, we don't look at it as how does this help our negotiations. It doesn't speed up our process with them. We never looked at July 1st as a timeline that said we have to get something done. In fact, very rarely does it happen on July 1st. You know, So so we, we've taken a very uh, – Ray has always looked at the player first and what's best for them, which, may, which is, you know, I think, why he's so respected in the league. And this is just going to continue in this process, and we'll continue to, to talk and work with him when the time's right. We'll – We'll figure it out. You said you talked to him. What did he say about P.K. Subban? He was pretty excited. Yeah? Let's <laughs> <laughs> get kind of a check-in, make sure there's no heat there. P.K. Yeah. could rub people the wrong way. No, no. He, that, I mean, listen, Taylor is a competitive hockey player who wants to win. And mm -hmm. and I think anybody, you know, can, his, his talent's undeniable. But, but more importantly, I mean, they're... They respect each other's players, which is great. And yeah. they know each other, so it's good. That's good. Last one for me. Uh, you know, I, I know who owns the Devils and I know who owns the Sixers. When are we going to get the P.K. Subban, Joel Embiid uh, oh my gosh, the stream, stream, streaming show? 
Yeah, well, you know, his number is 76, too. So yeah, it's, yeah. it's kind of interesting. Oh, weird, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. Um, Harris Buster Sports Entertainment, we take a very, um, like, obviously, we, we work across the teams and we're supporting the teams, but we want our fans to feel like this is, you know, very localized and very. Mm-hmm. And so there will be obviously great opportunities for us to utilize these big personalities. Um, but, you know, it's. It's a few hours old. Yeah. <laughs> Give me some time. Give me some time. I mean, it's yeah, you had probably time to sell some tickets today. I don't know. Yeah. Awesome. That's all I got. I really right. appreciate awesome. your time. You. All right, our thanks to Hugh Weber. That was good stuff. It's a very interesting dynamic now to have P.K. Subban in Newark, New Jersey. And, I, and I, I'm fascinated by it. I think it's going to be, like, like we talked about briefly, like it's going to be a really unprecedented moment for that franchise. Ever since they moved to Newark, uh, struggling to make a connection with the community around the arena, and and now they have a shot. So it's it's interesting. You and I both grew up in New Jersey. And we've also lived in New York. Where do you think he lives? You know, I was thinking about that. Like, I don't think he lives in the city. I think he's a Jersey City or Hoboken. I think he'll be Jersey City or Hoboken for yeah. sure. Um, but I mean, him. We didn't really get into it, but like him, him being that close to New York City. Yeah, yeah. I mean. Like what? What is he appearing on stage at every big Radio City show that comes through? I mean, it's going to be—he's going to be a ubiquitous celebrity player in in New York, despite playing in Jersey. I think. Yeah, and for that's sure. That's pretty great. I know, and you know, look—he didn't have—he had a no movement clause when he was in Montreal. David Poyle is infamously stingy with that. The only player on his current team who has one is Pekka Rene, the goalie, and he didn't have it. Uh, if Pekka Rene, uh, wow, if CPA Subban got a pick where he was going to trade. I think that it had to be in the New York market, L.A. market. Those are the only two markets that he would want to be in. Possibly. I'd throw Vegas in there, too, personally, because oh, his, his brother's there. there and stuff. So, but, um, all right, this trade is... Just is, because is, his brother's there? Not, no, and also because <laughs> of maybe a little few other things that happen in Vegas to stay in Vegas. Um, it's a fascinating deal. Uh, I talked to David Poyle just earlier, right before we, just, we started doing the podcast, and there's absolutely no question that the, devil, the Devils were in a group of about four teams all vying for Subban. There is absolutely no question that their ability to take the full freight of his contract off the books for the National Predators is the reason that they acquired him. Um, Ray Shearer was a little bit more cagey about that, but without question, it is the it, it, cap space is maybe the biggest commodity right now in the NHL, and uh, and the, the Devils had it, and they were able to make this deal done. So the question for you, Emily, is you think it's going to work? Is, is, is last year not a great year for PK? The year before, a Norris quality year for PK. P.K. Subban on the Devils with that current roster. What are we looking at next year? Yeah, look, he's 30 years old. He's not the Norris Trophy winner that he was in 2013, but he's still elite. He's not like a shell of himself. I think it's a matter of him staying healthy. I think he can be productive until that contract, which does end in 2022, <laughs> as we have fact-checked a couple different times. Uh, look, and of course, Ray Shearer is going to be cagey about the fact that, like, oh, we were going to take it on because apparently he was the only one willing to take on that contract. Yeah. It seems like he was. Yeah. You know, the Toronto Maple Leafs are a team that I know were looking into P.K. Subban. They weren't going to take that on. They couldn't take that on. Right. Uh, I do think it can work. Uh, you know, you were talking about it. There's a couple things that a team needs to win. You need depth and talent up the gut. You've got a one-two solid punch in Nico Kishier and Jack Hughes. You mm-hmm. need an elite goal-scoring winger. If they keep Taylor Hall, that's it. You need a stud defenseman. You also need goaltending, and that's where the big if comes in for me because they don't have goaltending. So yeah. the question for me now, of course, it's going to be New Jersey versus New York. It's now a crowded market. The Islanders, of course, are the only team that made the playoffs out of the three of them last year. Yeah. Who has a better chance to win in the next three or four years? On paper right now, assuming that Taylor Hall comes back healthy, I say it's the New Jersey Devils. Ah. 
a couple weeks from now, after free agency, I say it's the New York Rangers because <laughs> they got that cap space and I think they're going to spend it. And Mackenzie Blackwood right now is looking like maybe the goalie for the Devils. I, I'm not a huge fan, but we'll see what happens there. And you mentioned Taylor Hall. I mean, that is the, the, the elephant in the room on this whole situation with Subban, right? Like, the ability to get PK, show the Devils have direction, show they're willing to spend to win. These are the things that Taylor Hall was waiting to see after the season, and I think he's seen a bit of it now. Uh, so a very interesting move, a shocking move. And uh, from a marketing perspective, as we talked about, an unprecedented move for the Devils. It's just good that Lou's not there anymore so, like, Subban can actually be himself. Oh my, That was my favorite thing that Hugh said. He had no bones about it. Like, yeah. look, if this trade happened a couple years ago when we had different management, oh, yeah. I don't know how we would have marketed oh, these yeah. guys. It's a new era. A couple other deals uh, worth mentioning in our show. Uh, Patrick Marlowe gets traded to the Carolina Hurricanes. Apparently... The Hurricanes, by the way, the, the Leafs send a first-round pick with Marlowe to get him off the books, clear out space to sign their RFAs, and hopefully retain Mitch Marner. Um, the Hurricanes apparently are going to try to convince him to play uh, in Raleigh next year. I think the writing on the wall says buy out, and then he goes west somewhere on a very small... Somewhere? When- well, well, I mean, he One wants. Where? I mean, it may, maybe they don't want him in San Jose. Who's to say? But like, he. This is very reminiscent of the Brad Richards situation a few years back, where Richards took a very, very small contract with the uh, Chicago Blackhawks, and uh, after he got bought out, I think it's the same thing with, with Marlowe. He's now able, eligible if they buy him out to sign a very small contract with somebody who can fit him under their cap, and uh, we'll see what happens there. But uh, again, good move. I mean, a necessity for them to move Marlowe off the cap. And uh, it took a first-rounder to do it, but it's going to be probably a low first-rounder, I imagine, for the Leafs. The other trade that happened, which was, it just kind of felt weird and unsavory to me, was the JT Miller move. <laughs> unsavory. Is that okay? I don't know if <laughs> unsavory is the right word there. I'm like, look, I think that he's a really good player, JT Miller. I think that his contract maybe isn't matching the production you're getting right now. But it felt like the Vancouver Canucks gave up a ton yeah. uh, to get that guy on. And I know, you know, they've got a ton of forwards. They, they need some talent up there. But to give up a first-round pick for him, plus other other assets, like, it just it felt like an overpay to me. I thought with Miller, it was an, it was an interesting move. I think, no, he has a good contract. He's a versatile forward. He's going to help him. It, it's not a straight salary dump. It's definitely an asset that they were acquiring. Um, but a good move by Tampa to get, I mean, they basically doubled their cap space with that move at a time when they need every penny they can pinch to try to get Braden Point out of the cap. So we'll see what happens there. But, uh, a fun, a fun cup, a fun second day of the draft after an absolute snoozeroo of the first day of the draft where absolutely nothing happened. And nothing happened because the NHL and the NHLPA, some way, somehow, couldn't get their act together to figure out what the salary cap was going to be on Friday. It happened on Saturday. After the draft was done, that they figured out it was going to be eighty-one point five. That's nuts. What a weird situation. It's absolutely nuts. Like it, it was just literally, we got the email with the press release the yeah. second the draft ended. So dumb. Uh, and I do think that is why we didn't see as oh. much movement on Friday. All the GMs were saying it, it, the the mystery of the cap was was the reason why their phones weren't ringing. David Poyle, uh, after the draft today, said, "Hey, look, you know, in, in my situation and in Toronto's situation and in Tampa's situation, these were three moves made not." hockey trades but 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 financial trades in some ways so 
Uh, it was a big mess, and I don't know what the hell is happening there with the cap, but 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 say say lovey. All right, that's ESPN on Ice, the special edition covering the Subban trade and a great many other things. Our thanks to the good people of Vancouver for treating us so nicely while we were here. While we were here, I've got another day. I can make it to the Roxy tonight. I am getting the heck out on a plane tonight. Uh, thanks to Chris Peter for joining us. Thanks to Hugh Weber and the, and the Devils for that interview as well. We'll be back soon. We've got some really cool player interviews to you that we uh, did in Vegas at the awards. And then, of course, the July 1st Bonanza, when Emily and I will both be in Bristol Ooh, uh, for uh, Free Agent Day. Uh, which, uh, you know, we figure Matt Duchesne will go to Nashville now. I imagine that's probably what's going to happen. We think. I think it's a huge upset if he doesn't go to Nashville. You know what? I was thinking about this trade. I feel like if they don't get one of the high-profile free agents uh, forwards, and AK, I'm literally talking about Matt Duchesne, I would consider this a loss for them. Or it'll just be a, another step in David Poyle's master plan to return the Predators to prominence. They're going to sign Roman Yossi, too, obviously. Um, all right, everybody. Thanks for uh, listening. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. 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 Bet ESPN on Ice with Wachinski and Kaplan. Subscribe to the show in the ESPN app or Apple Podcasts.